too quickly. Depends on what we're going through. 1 Timothy chapter 4, <coughs> starting in verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is, to, if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we work and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all, especially of those who believe. I'm going to specifically be dealing with verses 6, 7, and 8 this morning. As Paul in this, I think there are 43 or 44 imperatives in this letter. That's commands or instructions that are given to the church, or excuse me, that are given to the elder of the church of Ephesus in order that he might know himself and then instruct the church therein. And when you think about this type of writing, it's one of the reasons why we believe the word of God is sufficient and therefore it should be taught verse by verse as well as read and heard and understood is because it is very easy as an elder to listen to the instructions of the Bible and say, hmm, I don't think I really am doing that well. Let me skip that and just go to the next thing. Ever been there? You ever had someone tell you something that you know is true about the Word of God and you know absolutely that they are not in error in, in any way, but you're always just the yeah, buts, just what about this and all these other things that are coming into your mind that are trying to justify the fact that you are not doing that well. Well, beloved, if we were to evaluate ourselves in light of the righteousness of Christ and His direct obedience to the Father and His perfect submission to the will of God, then we would all be wanting and the greatest day and the greatest act of obedience that we could all muster individually, it is still not sufficient for righteousness, except that it is done by faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't count toward our righteousness. It is Christ's righteousness given to us. And so when we see that the elders are to do certain things, they will do them at the best of God's grace. They will do them in season and out of season. They will do them half-heartedly and full-heartedly, and this is the charge. Paul is now reminding Timothy that although he has <coughs> talked about the qualifications of elders and deacons and things that are going to be authoritative over the body of Christ, he is now going to give Timothy some instruction, and then he's going to talk about how the men and the women and the children and, and the body of Christ are supposed to act and behave. After all, that is the reason for this letter and the occasion of false teaching causing division, he's saying you need to behave rightly. You need to act accordingly. You need to operate in a system of order, and here is how you do it. And you do not depart from this whatsoever. And Paul 
is perfect in the way he illustrates these things, perfect in the way he argues these things. As we see in Ephesians chapter 4, we see that God gave gifts to the church, right? He gave the teachers and the apostles and the prophets and the pastors and the, those who teach and labor in study and prayer and oversight and interest and investment in the lives of the church so that they would, to the praise of the glory of Christ, would work to the joy of the saints to try to understand and admonish and teach and learn and live and then expose that to the body of Christ so that we might all walk together with contentment because of the gospel. So, you know, Sundays are not a time of us to just come get our spiritual kicks on. They have a very practical reality. They have very pragmatic um, and, and, you know, opportunity. We are here to learn things that are highly spiritual that we may live things for the sake of those spiritual things. And I'll say this later as I close this sermon out, but any man who serves the church who neglects either the truth of the gospel or the truth of the life of the Christian is neglecting Christ and rejecting the doctrines of Christ. And though there may be times that I will emphasize almost to the, to the point where it feels as though it is antinomian, it doesn't matter what we do or where we are, that's okay to emphasize strongly certain things that are important. But, at the, but if after six to eight months I haven't gotten to the next section to where then the what fors, therefores, and now get tos, uh, then I'm negligent. The same way would be that if I sat around here and all I ever preached is what we should do and what we shouldn't do and how we should live and how we shouldn't live. And then I made, you know, 45 minutes of every hour sermon segues into my own pet peeves of how I think you ought to look, act, and smell. At the context, against the context of the scripture and then neglect the reality of the sovereign grace of God, free the gospel of Christ, then I'm negligent. I'm negligent. See, good servants, as we think about this, are gifts to the church. Jesus gave gifts to the church. And these gifts are to be enjoyed, not ignored, just like marriage and food. These people, these false teachers, they emphasize something that is not correct about Christ's redemptive work or Christ's person. They emphasize something that is not correct about the application or the command of God through the scriptures, through the apostles. And then what happens is they put an undue burden on the body of Christ. And everybody is in a state of fear and frustration and hopelessness and despair and then aggression. And that what happens when we get fearful? We get aggressive because we're trying, to put, we're trying to maintain some sense of order that's outside the boundaries of what God's word tells us for our peace. Yeah, we're to enjoy. We're to enjoy the teaching of the Word of God. We're to enjoy the praying to God. We're to enjoy the worship of God. We're not to come in here downtrodden and diseased in our spirit. We may come in that way, but when we engage in the right worship of God in spirit and in truth for the Father of light who loves us in such a way that He proves His love for us in the example and in the reality and in the efficacy of Jesus Christ being sent to earth through the Virgin Mary and living a life of absolute, complete submission to the will of God the Father in great righteousness in His humanity, dying on the cross as a substitute for the elect of God and then being raised to dead, showing that He was not indeed a sinner. And He waits for us. Why is that an opportunity for despair? It's not. 
It's only despair when the men teaching the church are misapplying the Bible. It's only despair when wolves and snakes and dogs and goats come into the body of Christ under the guise of sheep and say, I want to make sure everybody here is unfettered to the hope of Christ in such a way that they're worried about their salvation. For only when you worry about your salvation is it the Spirit of God. That's, that's hogwash. <laughs> what does that even mean? It's, it's nonsense. It's not good. It's not clean. It's not positive. We aren't to sit here and labor over and over again <clears throat> as to whether or not we are in the faith. We are to be secure that we have been placed in the faith by the promises of God. Because one side evaluates what God has done in us and therefore it is looking to us. The other side evaluates what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. There is only assurance in one of those and that is the, sec that is the second. But now we see in 1 John that there is a good and prudent and beneficial way of staying disciplined, as we'll talk about in a moment. And in that discipline, it does eliminate the constant evaluation of things, the constant fear of things. And beloved, there are promises that God has given us in the New Testament for his church that if we do not follow the discipline required for those conditions to be met, the promises will not be ours. Guess what? You will not get the ministry of the elders of the church if you are not in the fellowship of the church on Sunday mornings. You're neglecting God's promises to you. Also, when other people pray for you, you are hindering your own prayers by not being in fellowship. But if you don't want the promises of God, that's fine. But don't point fingers at the body of Christ and say, they're not there for me. That is going to start getting some of my fury. And my fury looks pretty light. Shame, shame, shame. <laughs> you know. But these servants, myself included, I'm just a slave of Christ to do what I've been called to do without escape. I'm to be a gift to you. The elders of this church are to be a gift to you. The church is to a gift to itself. We are to be enjoyed, not ignored, not neglected. Just like other things that we've talked about already, marriage and food and other things. Thus the good teachers must put good gifts before the church in oversight. As an elder, we must put good gifts before you, including instructions on matters that are practical as well as theological. Now, recently someone's asked me, can you really define that? I'll work on those as the months come out. But you know the point. There's a difference in learning the doctrine of God theologically and the ether of it all, just saying, have the knowledge of this divine stuff versus the application of this divine stuff. The therefore, the what good is it now? So what? Okay, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, so what? Just because you know that, it doesn't give you any ticket into any type of divine favor. The demons know that. They have not been granted to rest in the sufficiency of Christ's death because it was not for them. Never forget, beloved, that there were only room for eight human beings on the ark. Yet the call to the masses for a hundred years was, you better get on the boat. So Paul is telling the elders, if you put these things, that's not a condition. It's just basically saying you put these things before the brother. Verse 6 of 1 Timothy 4. Put these things before the brothers. If you do that, you'll be a good servant of Jesus Christ. So let's talk about that for a second. I know for me, when I look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and when I see what I need 
And for my training, it is the scripture. <coughs> it is the word of God. The word of God is sufficient for my understanding. The word of God is sufficient for my oversight. The word of God is sufficient for my teaching. The word of God is sufficient for my correction. The word of God is sufficient for everything that I need to do as the call of God on my life for the church. So therefore, anything that I add to the Bible is superfluous. And if it doesn't point me back to the scripture, is honestly getting in the way. It's getting in the way. Not that we can't enjoy the knowledge of other people. But, beloved, it's not our knowledge if we're just absorbing that which someone else has studied for. It's just copy-paste. And it may be true and it may be accurate and God the Spirit will use it for your good. But it's not going to carry me there. And sometimes the church can be more mature than its elders when they neglect the Bible. Submit these things before the brothers. Now I want to make an emphasis that a lot of people would ignore here. Commentators would ignore it. Other people would ignore it. People would emphasize the preaching of the word of God, which is obviously in view here. But more specifically, the preaching of that which Paul has already talked about, Timothy. And that which will continue in the end of the letter with 40, I think it's 43, commands given to Timothy in order that the people of God may have instruction on how to live an orderly life. Remember, that's why the letter was written. To live an orderly life in the midst of false teaching. To answer the call and the charge of refuting false teaching through the positive doctrinal teaching of the word of God for the sake of the joy of God's people. And so here we see this emphasis on brothers. And of course that's a plural word used in the context of the word siblings. So it includes sisters. Like the word they. It's a plural or singular. But the word brothers and sisters. Put these things before the siblings. Put these things before the congregation. Put these things before. But Paul uses the word brothers to emphasize the intimacy of the congregation. We're not just sitting in seats together. We don't just have a membership covenant that we're all just saying, okay, we agree. And that we're part of the role here as an institution. We're not an institution. We're a family. And so we're here as a family, and Paul is saying to Timothy, put this before the intimate family. Put this before the brothers and sisters. This is a familial bond that comes only through the gospel of Christ by the Spirit of God. And it is greater than the blood of family. And that's strong. And some people say, well, I've never really experienced that. It's because of the lack of discipline, of being intimate. And the lack, sometimes, of confidence that God's promises are sufficient through that discipline. Why? Because there's no worse place, there's no darker place than I've ever had pain than the church. I've never been hurt more in my life than the church. And I have been beat up physically by groups of people three times. Stomped and kicked and thrown. And beloved, that ain't nothing compared to what a brother or a sister can do to you in the name of Christ. Brothers, put these things before the siblings of Christ. Intimate reality of a confessed hope. Faith in Jesus Christ to the praise of His glory. This is who the church is. This is not a flippant term. We do not get to decide who is and who is not a brother outside of the biblical instruction therein. To do so makes one God. I'm going to say that again. 
We have people come into the church, oh, that's not a brother. Oh, not a brother. They are God by profession. Let me say it a third time. Anyone who tells you someone else is not a brother because they've determined outside the biblical parameters of commands that this person is not a brother or sister, that is Jesus. Bow down to him and lick his feet, wash his hair, worship him, put him up on a pedestal and praise him as God because only God can say those things. Emphasis taken. The devil speaks that lie. Have nothing to do with those people. Ever. Where do you get that? Timothy is told to that. And Titus also. Brothers. The body of Christ is the local assembly of those who confess to be found in Christ by faith in his finished work. Every iteration therein that comes along like circumcision. Wait a minute, you forgot about circumcision, Galatia. There are people who would suppose that anyone who took circumcision in the region of Galatia were reprobate. Those people that think that are God also. Wow, there are so many gods I don't know who to pick. Have nothing to do with them. Nothing to do with them. Let that cult be their own thing. And don't take my word for it. Read the scripture. Those who confess to be found in Christ by faith and his finished work are to be considered our siblings in Christ. And as we grow and understand and learn. Now you notice what I didn't say there. You believe anything you want to believe. And I come up and you say, you know that squirrel over there? Sort of. And, 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 and I think God's showing me that he loves me through that squirrel. I believe. I'm a Christian. That's, come on now. The same thing is true that if I tell you, and if you hold your finger in your ear, and you stick your other finger in your nose, and you put your right leg out, and you do the hokey pokey, and you do the teapot, and pull yourself out, that you'll be saved. Well, I know Johnny, he came in for the teapot salvation, but all in all, he really trusted in Jesus. Folks, listen, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in part or in full, in any part, in John chapter 4, in John chapter 1, God the Holy Spirit, through the hearing of the first 18 verses of John's gospel, will, at his pleasure, as he sees fit, cause someone to rest in the sufficiency of the work of Christ, not even having a complete knowledge of what justification, election, or redemption is. It is a work of God, and it blows where he wishes. Anyone who suggests anything different is either speaking across or against you, or talking somewhere else, or they themselves are God. We can only use that which is given to us in the Bible in its context. And most importantly, we need to listen to the narrative of the New Testament and the instruction of the New Testament in our evangelism and in our understanding of the divine work of God in salvation, which most people think that means regeneration. Being born again to the knowledge of Christ. No, false gospels do not save, beloved. But God, the light of Christ, is greater than the darkness of false gospels. 
And we're in the business of making disciples and that those who come and to profess to us that they are in Christ, we take it to their word. And when they come and hold to the values and the doctrines that we hold to as a people, then we take them at their word. And when something comes up and they start to think about other things, we correct them patiently because that's what we're supposed to do. And not any time are we to say then anything except hallelujah, praise God for your grace because you have shown this brother the truth. The greatest idol in the United States of America's church and in the sovereign grace circles of that type of theology is the salvation of experience and neo-gnostic knowledge. Hot diggity jig, I read Calvin, now I'm a Christian. Hot diggity jig, I understood election, now I'm a Christian. Is election the gospel? Yes, it's good news too. Is justification the gospel? Yes. Is faith the gospel? Yes. It's all part of the good report of Jesus Christ. It is his work. We put it before the brothers. You see what I'm getting at, right? Nowhere in any of this has Paul said, we've got to put it before the goats. He said, put it before the brothers. The goats will be determined by the what? By the judgment seat of Christ. But we'll treat goaty people as goaty until they act like sheep. Only instruction to the truth and correction thereto are grounds for exclusion. <clears throat> if someone refuses correction. What was Paul's correction to the false teachers? Command them to stop talking. Hallelujah. Who's hurting anybody believing something in their head? Not a soul. If I poured out my poetic stupidity over the this edge of this pulpit, your heads would blow up. Things that I've pondered, considered. Hmm. I've got journals when I'm 14, 15 years old of things that I've considered. Some of them are spot on. Some of them are stupid. Some of them are scary. I mean, my journals over the last six months, I had not been talking about doctrinal stuff in my journals. I've been opining about all the bad things that's happened to me. Hallmark's looking at it. <laughs> but I'm not a woman, so they're not going to buy it. You know the Hallmark channel? All the bad things? Okay. So instruction to the truth. Correction to the truth. You made a mistake. You're thinking wrongly. Where did you get that doctrine? Oh, you came in here to teach that stuff? No, sir. You know what else is false doctrine? Meddling in the salvation of the people who Christ have died for. It's not evangelism to come in and uproot hope. It's Satanism. It's humanism. Same thing, by the way. Did God say... We are unable to declare somebody lost if they consider different doctrines or lose sight of different doctrines or are troubled by certain doctrines. We further are unable to insist on any aspect of what must be declared or understood in any cognitive way in comparison to the truth 
or something that's false in the truth. We can't say, well, we know that person's saved because now they know this is a lie. Beloved, the lie doesn't save. You don't have to know what malnourishment is to starve to death. You don't have to know what starvation is to want to eat. I'm done with this. I'm done with the conversation. Remember what I talked about as I started? There are things in here that are like, I don't want to teach this because I have not been doing them. This is the sermon. This is a slap in my face. Because I've entertained in the name of patience stupid stuff. Because the only thing that I knew to do was to make, make waves. I have to make waves. I can say, no, we're not doing that. Chocolate. You're going to bed early. Ah! You're going to the penitentiary. <laughs> we don't have to permit fit pitching in the church. No one has that right. No one has the right to be angry. No one has the right to be upset. Every, we all have the right to go to hell by the wrath and the justice of God. But in his mercy, he has given that wrath to Jesus. So we're the recipients of grace. And because of that, I have to put these things before you, brothers and sisters. And I'm not going to be troubled by people who are troubled, people who are weak, people who are angry, people who are fearful. But we can instruct them in the ways of Christ. And if the ways of Christ aren't sufficient to give them hope that God is sovereign in the reconciliation of these things, they should not be considered our siblings because they do not behave appropriately. The brothers and sisters are only subject to the Lord's instruction, not the cultural ways of doing things. The Lord's instruction in all manners, not culture and certainly not cults. You know, all cults think they're right. The difference maker is that cults control people's behavior through fear and intimidation. Cults control people's behavior through constant oppression. Cults control people's behavior by fear of not being what you think others think you should be. And oh boy, now you know why I have called for 10 years the evangelical church, the evangelical cult in some instances. It's not a broad brush, it's just a statement. I can't count on all my ten, ten toes and fingers the number of dear brothers who have left the faith because of their experiences in the evangelical cult. So the elders are charged with submitting both true doctrine and true correction therein to the brothers and sisters. Thus making the case that true brothers are certainly in view here when it comes to heresy. <laughs> you see how long it takes me to get to a point. To think otherwise is absurd and has no ground in reality. I don't understand how people can't comprehend it, except that maybe they are part of the delusion that God speaks of through Paul and Second Thessalonians. Believing the lies not always the false gospel. Believing the lies also not to believe the sovereignty of God and his promises, period. These things. So put these things before the brothers. What are these things? Well, Christ's supremacy. 
So go to chapter 3, verse 15. What does it say there? If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the buster of the truth. How we ought to behave. Christ died for the church. We aren't the arbiters of purifying the church. Christ is. We are the overseers of keeping the church focused and organized. And the body of Christ must be at peace. And those who refuse to be at peace with the promises of God have to do something else because you can't play here if you're pitching a fit. That's Tim, isn't that Paul's instruction? Could you imagine? I used to think that social media was the most evil device used of the enemy. Generation before me and before them, television. Then the radio. Then that before that, the bicycle. I mean, you know. The evangelical church rose up hard against the manufacture of the bicycle. I'm not lying. Look it up. This is the kind of stupid stuff I waste my time on. I read two hours about the hatred of the bicycle. Because they knew that if young men could get faster to another village with young women, the whole world would go to hell in a handbasket. And the handbasket was on the front of the bike. I mean, it was already a kit made in hell. You get the point. The light overcomes the darkness. And that's our hope. And nothing can stop the gospel. And nothing can stop God from doing what he's going to do in the midst of his people. And it doesn't matter what other people think about you, beloved. It doesn't matter what other people think about your thoughts. What matters is that God has seen you before the foundation of the world. In the incarnation of Christ, <coughs> the crucifixion of Christ, and the imputation of his righteousness to you. So put these things before the brothers. The supremacy of Christ, the order of the church, the distortions of things that should not be, like chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. People saying what they should and shouldn't do and holding over the heads of the body things that cause them to think they're sinful. So Timothy is charged with keeping these things clear and positive. And in doing so, <coughs> he's a good servant. <coughs> a good servant. I get hot and I start to cough. Anyway. He's a good servant, a servant of the Lord. Isn't that what we all want to be? Some of us think we're a good servant by causing waves. We call those waves love. We call that love truth. We call that truth rocking the boat because, you know, Jesus doesn't compromise when he loved. He was honest. But you're ignorant, you see. And you're mean. And truth is never ignorant. And truth is never mean. Neither is love. And honestly, wisdom knows its place and knows its business, doesn't it? And salvation is of the Lord, and purifying the church is of the Lord, and God has given that task to the elders only. Period. 
And when the elders look at the Bible and they hear something that comes along and there's things going on in the church personally or either corporately, and the elders hear those things and the elders go right to the Bible and pull out the whole context of the New Testament letters and say, we must do it this way, then you get to be quiet and watch God work in his time. And the results are none of your business. And if you want it to be your business, Jesus, then take it somewhere else. You see? Because do you want people digging into your mess? Do you want people coming to get the specks out of your eyes? Do you want people to come and start influencing your thoughts? And worse, your joy? When you go to bed at night and you're trying to pray, is it a prayer of praise or is it fear? Is it frustration? Is it hope? This is not of God the Spirit. Ever in the history of the world, even in the Garden of Eden, has God the Spirit caused trepidation when focusing on the gospel of grace. Well, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's a pretext. And it's devoid grace. Be a good servant. <clears throat> I won't tell you who said this about this particular text right here, but it was a quote I read this week. I thought it was interesting. A golden testimony, eminently capable of comforting us. It ties together everything that Paul teaches in this letter. <laughs> you see that? That's the whole point. As a pastor, I read this letter and I'm thinking, this is the point. I'm to put this before the brothers and the sisters that they may be comforted. But that's the, that's the antithesis of good evangelical preaching, isn't it? Remember, have I've said in the last few weeks or months, some of the worst compliments I've ever received is, oh, you stepped all over my toes. You kicked my teeth out. You knocked the wind out of me. Be a good servant of Jesus Christ. And as an elder, it is my job to be a good servant, to put these things before you that your joy may be full to the praise of your glorious grace. Not, thank you, God, that you've changed me. Thank you, God, that I'm not like this anymore. Those are not thankful prayers. Those are arrogant blindnesses. Oh, God, thank you for propitiating for me. Thank you for satisfying your wrath for me. See, that's the declaration of a gospel servant. Being a good servant of Jesus Christ as an elder means to serve the Lord. By doing what he asks. The Lord asks the elder Timothy. In the midst of great conflict, division, false teaching and baloney. To just put the teachings. The positive instruction of order and righteousness before the church. So if I'm to be a good faithful servant. If Brother Trey is good to be a good faithful servant. Brother Jesse is to be a good faithful servant. As elders, then we must do what the Lord asks us to do. You know, it's very easy for us to do what we think is good. But if it's not what the Lord has asked us to do, we're really hurting you. And believe it or not, we're not all drinking cognac and smoking cigars at the end of every week going, yeah, we really told the devil where to go. I mean, you know, no, this is a, this is a serious thing. Serving the Lord's people through the teaching of the word of God is, is, is awful. And awesome. You know how those words mean the same thing? We obey the Lord 
as servants, which means we love the brethren in the way that God instructs us to love the brethren, not in the way culture instructs us to love the brethren. I remember many times through my 23 years of being in the pastorate, people have been upset with me because I'm not a manifold being. I'm not a, a, a diverse thing that can split myself and be in four places at once. And so sometimes as the church is larger and people need the pastor, the pastor can't always be there for those needs. And nine times out of ten, they don't tell you. They just think that I'm supposed to wake up in the morning and go, whoa, 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 spidey sense. <gasps> Bobby's in trouble. <laughs> Swim the ocean, go get him. You've got to tell somebody you need something, right? Especially when they ask, because I ask. Oh, it's all good, Pastor. I leave. That scoundrel didn't even call me last week. I was dying of a cold. You know what I've had to tell people patiently? If one part of the body comes to minister to you, the body itself is there. And when two of you are together, the Lord Jesus Christ is there. Who do you want? Do you want it your way or do you want it God's way? Is your joy found in the sufficient promises of what God has promised for the church? Or do you have in your own mind this cultural cult-like mentality of what must be in order for it to be a perfect church? If you need food, don't ask me to come teach a cooking class. Because you will get Subway sandwiches. That's what I cook. Subway app, pick up, take home. The whole marriage. Robin's out of town. Here's some food for y'all. I'm going to Subway. That's it. I can make fried bologna. I can boil a hot dog. I don't want to learn anymore. But if you're hungry, I can call somebody who can get you some food, or I can give you a Subway sandwich, or I can find somebody that can cook if you need to learn how to cook. If your marriage is in trouble, don't play games. Don't pretend like everything's good. Come and say, Pastor, my marriage is in trouble. I need help. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to refer to you people. I'm going to refer you to people who are experts in helping you communicate. I am not. I've got the book knowledge for it, but no longer the nerves. And it's not my calling. I had a young man reach out to me over the last few weeks. And I made it clear, if your interest in talking to me, he's local, if your interest in talking to me is that you want to learn how to live as a Christian and be submissive to the word of God in all things, I will walk with you in teaching you what those are. Otherwise, I'm not talking to you about anything. You know what I've heard of him? Zilch! I love it. I don't have to disobey the Lord. I can just say, this is what I can give you. I can make pizza with my mind. Poof! If that's not what you want is mind pizza, you're going to be real hungry. The elders must serve as the Lord has commanded, love as the Lord has instructed, and it is to humbly submit to those who, has ordained, who God has ordained to manage and teach the church. We're to teach you to humbly submit to the Lord through our teaching. And when my teaching becomes a burden, we have to ask ourselves, what is burdensome? And here's what it typically rolls down to. My flesh hates that. Because if I'm asking you to do anything outside of what God's grace has shown you, then it's probably not prudent. Being a good servant as an elder 
means that elders, the Bible teaches that elders are the, listen to this, the sole overseers of the ministry. Paul didn't write this letter to the church of Ephesus so that the church could get in all on the ministry. Paul didn't write the church these things so that everybody could do the elders' work. Now I know what some people say. Oh, there we go. These elders, man, they're just totalitarian. Where? Bring the evidence, buddy. I'll eat it for breakfast, repent of it with tears, and tear my clothes. That's the Old Testament reference. (laughs) Not happening. Anyone who says that I'm stern and mean is a liar. Because I am mean. And I am selfish. And at my own fault sometimes, not to show anyone that, I let things go too long. The elders are the ones who will give an account to the Lord, not you for the teaching of the church, for the correction of the church, to do what the Bible says to do. All those who claim Christ will submit to Christ and submit to the teaching therein because they can hear His voice according to John 10. The Spirit of God that indwells them gives them the ears to hear and then the ears that hear the gracious words of our Savior through the prophets, through the apostles, then overseeing that teaching by the elders. Those are the ones who will hear. If you can't hear, if you don't want to hear, it says something about you. All those in Christ will eventually submit to the word of God. And if they are to be considered in the faith, they must submit to the word of God in relation to the benefits of the faith. Elders, in order to be a good servant of Christ, have a lot of tasks that are not just found in Timothy. There are other places that we see instruction given. The letter of Hebrews. In Romans, there's other places, everywhere that Paul wrote to the church or James wrote to the church, there's always something in there about what the elders ought to be doing. So there are many things that we know elders are to do, and thus there are many things that elders are not to do. If it's not explicitly instructed, then the elders should not be doing it. We do not add things to the body or those who lead her. We do not add requirements to the body or those who lead her. We do not impose ideals related to the, world, to the world or to social construction or society or historical things. Elders have the job of oversight for the teaching of Scripture and to the prayer to the joy of the saints. Doctrine for life because of eternal life and training of the body to do the work of the ministry therein. They are not to do the work within. The elders are to work as they are equipped in the context of ministry, but their primary role is to lay down some of those things that they may instruct the church in those areas. But to be the first, to be the leader, shows. But I can't lead in everything. I can't do everything so you can follow in everything. Just like you, how many of you can sew? How many of you can cook? How many of you can build? How many of you can paint? How many of you can play a musical instrument? But can we all? Are we all a hand? Are we all an eye? Are we all a toenail? Toenails are important, beloved. Pull one up and find out. <clears throat> See how you limp on out of here. We can't all be everything. We're not all the same thing. And therefore, 
the elders can't be everything. But we can make sure everything is readily available for everyone. You see the difference? Oversight is given to hold accountable the body to learning and living according to the unity and the maturity of the household of God. <coughs> to the full stature of Christ. <clears throat> the final emphasis that Paul really puts on this thing is love. Everything should be done in love. Love and patience and kindness and long-suffering and gentleness and meekness. This is, these are not attributes that, that men in our century and our culture are, are praised for. But for those of you who know me long enough, you know I can be extremely harsh, mean, stressful. I mean, you've been around me enough where you've not seen me exercise that, but you know me. I've told you stories before. We can be tough and cruel, sarcastic. See, that's my biggest weapon. Nobody wants to be mild, meek. But there's reason we're, the reason we have to be. That's the example of Christ. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, coming into the world to lay down his life for a people who hate him, who deny his promises, who reject his love, who take all the good things that he gave them and created for them and make a mockery of it. Like I've said, it wouldn't make a good Marvel movie. I mean, at least Jesus could have come out of the tomb and the rock could have blown the guards away. Yes. He at least shone back up to the high priest and like punched him to Jupiter. I'm alive, sucker. I pity the fool. The final emphasis is love, nothing less. And love believes all things and rests in the sovereignty of God in all things. Those who know God with their minds know that his word is true and that his word is sufficient in dealing with matters of the faith for the church. Those who act outside of these promises are to be shunned. Teaching the church is the primary function of the elder. What are we to know and then what are we to do as a body? An elder who invests his times in matters unrelated to this while calling it ministry is really jumping off of a cliff. The scripture here now says to do this. Put these things before the brothers and you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. And then look at this next phrase. Being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have Followed. I'll put the emphasis on the latter part. Paul says this numerous times in his letters. You have followed my aim. You have followed my drive. You have followed my mission. You have followed my behavior. You followed my attitude. You followed my tongue. So being trained. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Words of the faith and good doctrine. See, both things are true. We learn the truth of the gospel and the work of God divine. And we learn the truth of what we should do because of it. 
One of them is our salvation. The other is an offering for our salvation. Because of our salvation. A submission to Christ and his headship. This is why the quote lordship type things have been so misconstrued. And has become such a false gospel in our culture. Well we know you're not born again because you won't do these things. Well that's nonsense. No, because you are a child of Christ, a child of the King, act like it. Oh, you don't want to act like it? Brother, I'm going to have to ask you to leave until you act like it, brother. See how messed up we get? And both of these things, the word of the faith and the good doctrine, are contrary to blasphemous and silly teachings, myths. If an elder is to become and remain qualified as a servant of Christ, there's something he must do. He must train. He must be nourished. He must feed himself that which food, the food that leads to this nourishment, that leads to this practice. In martial arts, there are certain exercises that you need to do in order to maintain the ability to do certain things in the forms. In firearm training, there are things that you must do physically to always make sure that your muscle memory works. If you do them wrongly, practice makes permanent, and wrong practice makes wrong permanent application. So the minister who neglects the scripture, who neglects the study of the word, his muscles go down, his spiritual life goes down, his spiritual stamina starts to wane, and he atrophies. And when the church demands he does everything but that which God has commanded him to, then they wonder why he can't move. They wonder why the elders are not functioning. But the elder doesn't submit to the body except according to the scripture. Just like the, script, the, the, the body doesn't submit to the elders except according to scripture. So what does it mean? It means to be trained that my goals and desires and the outcomes thereof are, need to have a purpose. What is Paul? Look at it. He says, rather train yourself in godliness. And he gives the example. For while bodily training of us is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Why? Because it holds a promise for not just this life, but the life hereafter. It's like my grandmother used to always say. Where is the eternal value in that? What is the eternal value in that? Thought, in this problem, in this thinking, or in this object, in this plan. So the elder must work with the same zeal and eagerness and Discipline and purpose in the spiritual things of his calling. Just like he will eat correctly or exercise in order to be healthy. Now for those of you who have never really done a competitive sport, you may not understand this, but Paul is relating to someone, an athlete, who's a competitive person. And you just can't go, you know, do two or three curls a month and be able to throw a baseball. You can't, you know... Take out the trash every Friday and then say you're going to be a 
world-class bodybuilder. You can't eat tofu and rice two days a week and say you're going to be a wrestler. Unless you eat a lot of it. I mean, you have to practice. You have to do things that will condition your body to stay at its peak performance. And some of you who lift, you know, man, you can be like, oh my gosh, personal best. I just squatted a trailer full of melons. I just picked up the gym, shook it all to one corner. Everybody thought, what's up? Tomorrow I can't get out of the bed. The next day I go to pick up something, I can't, what happened? I ate that candy bar last night before I went to bed. My macronutrients have screwed up my chemistry and now I can't compete. It happens. For me, when it's biking or fighting or rowing or any of those things, I can go forever and never stop. And it's like stamina, stamina, stamina. When I stop, I bonk and I'm done. I pass out, I fall on the floor. I wake up on a stretcher every single time. Hey, we need a break. No, if we break, I die. Why? Because I, do, I didn't do what was required to make sure I had the fuel to make it to the peak. As elders, we must continue to eat and nourish ourselves to have the fuel to make it. The truth of what God is saying in Revelation regarding the gospel of power and the life of his people. The elder must be dedicated to the work for which he is called. Which is one reason why the body that receives his labor must support his household. Because the opposite of that is being misled, isn't it? Think about this for a second. Being misled. Do not be misled. Do not think that you're supposed to chase after these things. Do not chase. Do not think that the leaving the 99 and going after the one is chasing after nonsense. Myths and silly debates and arguments over doctrine. Was there never a time to argue over doctrine? No. We can learn it, and we can discuss it, but we don't debate it. There's no one called of God that does debates and say, God called me to this debate. Now, I like them. Listen, most of my academic brothers, they're big into this stuff. And it's great, and I appreciate what God can do in and through it. But it's not for the church. It's for the academy. It's for the apologist who likes to go after the world religion so that everybody in the world religion. I mean, sometimes God does cause some people that are in these cults to go, wow, I never thought about that. But it's only the word of God in the local and through the local church that's going to grow that person into a disciple of Christ. Train yourself in godliness rather than do these silly myths and these irreverent things. We don't look for suspicions. We don't look through suspicious eyes. We don't assume and live in a context of assumption. We don't look for errors. We don't mark false teachers. That's an elder's job in the context of the local assembly. No one else's job. And you have to take the word of the elders to say, hey, so-and-so that was coming in here, used to teach classes or used to share this pulpit, has fallen off the spiritual wagon, if you will. <clears throat> don't talk to him. Stay away from him. The elders are working to reconcile this brother. But until he comes to a knowledge of his error, don't go and listen to him anymore. Don't let him get your ear because he'll twist you. And the church has to trust that. See, that's hard to trust the Lord, isn't it? But do you know that trusting the Lord in almost every situation in the Old Testament and New Testament meant trusting the people he had sent to be his messenger? <coughs> Thank God the apostles are the messengers and not James Tippins. 
I just get to relay. I'm the second relay. The message can't change. The mission can't change. The means of transmission can't change. It's still the word of God, right? We don't worry about false teachers. We don't worry about them. We don't look for them. We don't mark them. We don't worry about politics or cultural conspiracies. It's one surefire way to see someone who is absolutely not led by the Spirit of God is when they're assumptive, suspicious, and full of conspiracies. They have not read the Bible, and if they have, they usually are in the prophets. They usually are suspicious of people in the body of Christ as well. Titus, we see... In Titus 3, verse 2, says, Speak evil of no one. It says to avoid quarreling. It says to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. The same thing that Paul has already told Timothy to be. Above reproach, dedicated to his wife, sober in mind, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not drunk, not violent, but be gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, manage his home with dignity, keeping his little children submissive, and so on and so forth. Titus, same thing. So we are not to deal with all these aberrant beliefs. We're not to worry about all this stuff, all these different things and ideas and these falsehoods and these teachings. And I know... There may be a time that we have to deal with it, but it's not the bread and the butter of the church. And when we do deal with it, we deal with it in the context of what God's word says in contrast rather than putting so much time and emphasis on the negative. Church, we're going to do 25 weeks of what it means to die and live a life of misery so that you'll know not to do it. We'll have a candle vigil at the end. It'll be spiritual. (laughs) No, it won't. It'll be terrible. And if you showed up for that, I would lead you in those things. And then your heart would turn into that. And then all manner of fruit will come from that. And it won't be the fruit of the Spirit of God. We don't need to be looking at websites and blogs. We don't need to be involved in polemics. We don't need to be listening to what the Baptist Convention and the Methodist Convention and the Presbyterian Conference and all these other people are doing. And I know I just messed them all up because that's not what they call them, but I don't care. I don't care. We have nothing to do with polemics. We have nothing to do with false doctrines. We have nothing to do with emphasizing contrasting doctrine, focusing on distinctions not found in the immediate context of our church from the Bible. We're We're to have nothing to do with focusing or forsaking the instruction of the church about life. We're to have nothing to do with ignoring all the good teaching of the Bible for the sake of a few doctrines that we think are more important. We're to have nothing to do with those who refuse to stop behaving wrongly and insist on doing these things. For as a person, Titus 3, 10 and 11, who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and he's self-condemned. See, a division maker is the one who refuses to, listen to this, a division maker, I wrote this down so I wouldn't misquote myself. (laughs) A division maker is one who refuses to act and obey according to the commands of Christ. I'm going to read it again. 
A division maker is one who refuses to act and obey according to the commands of Christ. I'm not coming back to church, then you're a division maker. I'm not listening to you because of that, then you're a division maker. I'm not going to have a meeting with that, then you're a division maker. I'm not going to stop talking to my friends about that, then you're a division maker. A hundred percent of the time in any things that we've ever dealt with as a congregation, people would come and say, well, this, I got a problem with so-and-so. Okay, this is how we're going to handle it. The Bible says to do this. Well, I'm not doing that. Well, then you're the division maker. Because what's really crazy is these are the people that come to me about a problem when I go to the person who is the problem, they do exactly what I say. And it doesn't matter because people like to be flustered, I guess. People like to have anxiety. People like to be bent out of shape and be a victim. But they're actually the one that are victimizing the body of Christ. The division maker is the offender. Not those in error. Everybody in error in Ephesus wasn't an offender. It was the ones who would not stop doing that which they were commanded not to do. We live in this realm by the authority of Christ. No man can determine a better way to handle these issues that God has not already laid out under the oversight of the elders of the church. So our contentment in these matters is relative to the depths of our faith, which is relative to the level of our discipline on the things that God has promised. And God's promises are certain in Christ even those that are conditional through the means of grace. Resolution, reconciliation, hope, peace, love, ministry. Because Christ has given his, his life, his death, as a good gift to his people, we are to be embracing the good gift of his mercy as we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. See, we need to remember that the gospel of grace is about the work of God. God the Spirit working in the hearts of his people in order that they would rest in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. God the Spirit who instructs his people through the teaching of the Bible. Who rests in the matters of teaching from the Bible. God the Holy Spirit who seals and perfects his love in his people. In those in whom he dwells that they may just not trust the story of Christ. But the sovereignty of God through the revelation of the word and instruction in every circumstance. God the Spirit always declares and returns his people to the cross of Christ. Because that is the lens through which we see everything. Being trained in godliness, then, is a true and constant dedication to the learning and the study of Scripture for the sake of the instruction of the saints. Somebody's even told me, well, you've been doing this so long, you should know it all. No, I don't. I don't have under my belt the... The, the constant application of what I taught last week. It's a struggle. Paul told Timothy to train himself. And an elder does not learn and train and focus. He will not be able to handle threats that come into the church. He will succumb to his flesh. Which some people is fits of rage. And others is ghosting and just forgetting about it. Letting it all run. Which is what happened in Corinth, right? I'm just not going to deal with it. Look at all this sin. This place is on fire. Well, just don't look over there. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to do either. Out of the 43 imperatives in this letter, they all have something to do with being trained to do something according to the gospel. Elders are part of those imperatives. And any pastor that ignores the imperatives forsakes the doctrines of Christ, just as anyone who ignores or maligns the gospel do likewise. We have the truth of life and the way of life, and we also have the order of life. And these things go together, which is the entire occasion of the New Testament. 
So, beloved, the promises of God that we see in this instruction has value. And though I may be getting healthier in this age that I am, I am not going to get younger and stronger than my age is going to catch up with me. And though in doing certain things and taking certain nutritional supplements and eating certain ways can help even eliminate the effects of arthritis and other things, I still wake up every day and I'm reminded exactly what I am in my body. So my physical health does not have a promise in eternity. But my spiritual health does. And it's you. I want you to hear that, church. Such as the elder called to invest his life in the sheep of Christ, of which he is, so he must invest his life himself in the way of life that he may teach others in the way of life but it's you I'm not earning anything before the Lord I'm helping you to stand before him with confidence because of the gospel of grace and so when people come against the church and come against the pastors and come against the body and come against the brothers and sisters they are, they are literally choking the life out of Jesus no matter the reason Train yourself, elders. The promises of God are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20, right? For all the promises of God find their yes, their amen, their amen in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for, our, for His glory. And it has to do with everything. To put it away. Training is not putting away sin. As I said earlier this week to someone, that putting away sin is, we put away sin by faith. And that first means to trust that Christ in his death has put it away forever. That means justice and righteousness prevail in the death of Jesus Christ for his people. And while there are practical and wise instruction and commands found in the New Testament, these are not means of righteousness or salvation, but rather prudent and holy principles for living as those who have received grace upon grace. So in the end of all of this, we view everything that we are and everything that we do as God's people through the lens of the gospel. We look at it through the gospel of Christ. And then we deal with everything that we have to deal with. Everything. There's not one thing that we have to deal with as human beings that we can't deal with through the lens of the gospel. Because we are promised all things through the gospel. And as we know, not just here in other places in Ephesians, we see that we have received all things because of the gospel. So in that, beloved, we are able to worship because of God's glorious grace. And we thank him for it. And we need to emphasize in our own hearts and minds the practice and the discipline of praising God for what we have in Christ rather than what we have lost or what we do not have or what we wish we could obtain. Because when we do the latter... We lose our joy. So think about the things that are eternal. Think about the things that are prudent and wise and good. And as we take the table today, let's think about the fact that Jesus Christ gave himself for us. Let's pray. We thank you again, Father, for, the, for your mercy. 
Lord, for your power, the power of your spirit, just to give me the ability to stand here and to teach, to, to look at your word through the week in spite of everything else that I have to think about. That, Lord, you are able, you are able to sustain us. Lord, I just pray that we would all live in a manner of peace more than being frustrated and fearful and anxious. It seems like it's just the commonplace, it's the road upon which we walk is the road of anxiety. Lord, help us to look to you and to your promises and to be reminded that in comparison to what the first Christians went through, <laughs> we've got it made. <coughs> and the world's problems are not our problems and the way in which we are to handle these things is, is for our own good. So, Lord, teach us to be obedient to your word. Teach us to be patient with those who are not yet there. And, Lord, teach us to be loving to those around us who, even when we have to put them aside until they change their lives, help us to be kind and show compassion. And, Lord, we pray for ourselves. We pray for all of our church. We pray for those who just forsake the assembly three and four and five weeks in a row, and they don't come. We don't know what's going on, and it causes us to labor in, in anxiety. Lord, we know one thing's for sure. They are not growing, and their joy is found in other things and not the gospel. And, Lord, I thank you for calling me to the pastorate, Lord, because if I were not required to be here, I probably wouldn't either sometimes. But, Lord, more than a requirement, it's a blessing. It's an obligation that is a great affection that sometimes causes just all sorts of things in our lives. But, Lord, at the end of the day, we see the blessing of it because you work in it through and through it for our good, and it is great. So we praise you for how you can work in the simplest of things to bring about your purposes. And we praise you all for these things in Christ, and we pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.